Previously on Tom Hanks Giving. What have we learned with, with the money pit? How do you feel? I want to see those two in a movie again together. Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. Can you imagine her and you've got mail? Oh my god, the movie would have been so much also, better. Also, Greg Kinnear would have made so much more sense. partner and welcome to Tom Hanks giving it's Meg Ryan month and we're here today to talk about the 1998 Nora Ephron classic you've got mail it all comes down to this I'm your host Elvis and today I'm joined by Samantha who is returning from our wildly popular the money pit episode and uh, we have a lot to talk about so we should get started right away so we're talking you've got mail we just watched it. How do we feel? I'm confused. <laughs> this, this movie has... Okay. There's a lot going on in You've Got Mail. There's a lot going on. There's Layers. A lot, there's so much to unpack. We have conversations to have. I don't even know if we both know how we feel about the movie yet. We're going to find out through this discussion. I guess beforehand, let's have a bit of a talk about the cultural conversation or at least the uh, what You've Got Mail means in pop culture. I feel like this is the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie people actually think of most, more than Sleepless in Seattle. Do you find that true? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I don't know if it's because it's aged better, because it feels like, I mean, maybe it was just because it came out later, that's why, because Sleepless in Seattle was kind of a, a tentpole until this movie came out, and I feel like it's completely swept up the pop culture consciousness. I think, too, it's one of those rare moments when the follow-up of a team-up like this is better than the first time. Oh, wow, you're laying down... Mm, uh, better... Uh, some judgment. Uh, I don't... Okay, better might be the wrong word, but I think it, it for, hit in the same way, and I think for some people it's probably the more loved movie. Right, well, we'll we're, we're gonna hold because off on... Because there's a dog instead of a child. There's definitely... A, the, the child was very good in Sleepless in the He's very good, but given the choice between you, a dog true. or a child, you pick Brinkley. Brinkley every time. Ah. So <laughs> adorable. Uh, we're gonna hold off on the major comparisons between this and Sleepless, but you're right, they're, they're, it's a natural conversation. It's Nora Ephron, her direct follow-up with this direct uh, two co-stars. So some comparison has to be... Uh, I think Made. it's also more of a direct mirror mirror for the culture at that time. I mean, it nails it from the coffee to the internet. It's crazy how ni late 90s this movie is. Yes, it's so 100%. of a time, Which is why I'm shocked it is so fondly remembered, because it's so dated when you watch it. But it's all the fun stuff you remember about yeah. that time. It really is. It's not it's not the shitty parts. It's all it's all the good. It's the stuff you look back fondly and think, why did we do that? Ha, 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 it's true. I guess it's not dated at all in the Starbucks mentality because that's no. even more prevalent yeah. uh, than that. It's, it's weird how Starbucks is almost more uh, omnipresent than the, the AOL bullshit. Going oh, on. yeah, absolutely. It's really weird. Well, we'll get to that later, but I think this yeah. movie is absolutely an, indict an indictment, but also... It's coming to terms with corporate America. It's This is a... Well, I think corporate... Or the American culture has the same 
journey that Meg Ryan's character does yes. in that she's just beaten into submission. That's the thing. This movie runs like this movie goes deep. It's it's creepy. And I also think it's kind of funny watching it now when dial up's been replaced by cable and email has been replaced by or not cable, but you know, like broadband internet. Mm-hmm. And like um there's no fun noises to yeah. wait for. It's, you're email, always online. Yes, email's been replaced by like just completely ubiquitous connection, and bookstores have been replaced by Audible. Whereas Sleepless in Seattle kind of was about two people meeting by chance over the radio. This is about two people meeting in a chat room, which did happen. Uh, I, I am not uh, unfamiliar to this kind of phenomenon before online dating was online dating that we know. Yeah. Uh, there was this weird period of time where you could meet a person online, you have no idea who they are, you're not going out specifically to find a a romantic connection, you're just going out because you like to talk about shit. And you find yourselves in a forum or a chat room, and then you strike up a conversation, and then you're like, let me get your, uh, your AIM screen name, your AOL yes. Instant Messenger, which they use in this movie. Although I don't remember if the sound effects were the ones I remember. They it's... Must- I think it predates probably our use of AIM. That's crazy. It yeah. It was, we feel young. Yes, <laughs> finally. Um, but uh, yeah. So so there's that, and uh, it's just kind of about just finding that chemistry. And this was back in the time where people like you didn't meet online because you were convinced oh this is going to be like some crazy pedophile or rapist or something creepy oh uh creepy that's rapey and creepy people you're um, being abstruse i'm being abstruse just like parker posey oh we're gonna talk about parker posey we keep saying what we're gonna talk about let's, yeah let's just deep dive okay. into one of these let's, what do you want to talk about let's jump into a big question right up front okay um when does this movie become horrible <laughs> It starts in such a bad place. It starts Does with it? two. Yes, think about okay, it. Both okay, okay, you're right. Are stepping out emotionally on their significant others to the point where they're peeking outdoors and hiding their very normal the computer very, usage. You're right. The very first scene we meet Meg Ryan. I mean, after some very '90s graphics of New York, we see Meg Ryan. She's got this like. There's this a lot. I I do like the. I feel like. This is the better movie compared to Sleepless in terms of Nora Ephron's direction. I feel like her writing fits the style and the tone and the visuals better. And, like, there's this playfulness to both Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks as they're peeking around these corners. Yeah, yeah. And, this, and it's, it's very fun. That's the thing. This whole movie is so shady from the get-go, <laughs> and it never feels that way. I love it. It's so in-your-face about, like, this weird kind of infidelious territory... But then she goes and talks about it with her friends at work, and they're all totally okay with that's, it. That's that's the let's 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 establish this question okay. up front. So where, at what point is she? Are they cheating on their respective others? Because it it seems like in Nora Ephron movies, your boyfriend or your girlfriend is basically just like the current pair of shoes you wear, and as soon as you find a better one, you just throw them out. Yes, it's weird because it's a weirdly pragmatic approach to relationships, where you keep doing something because it feels right or you keep doing something whether or not it feels right because it works it functions mm-hmm. like they like she says to Greg Kinnear we are such a good fit yes and and then you realize that the emotional component is missing only when you've found it again right and I think that's where it's it's this idea of an awakening and I'm not sure it is a really weird moral gray area though because I mean I like that complexity because that's true in real life too yes, absolutely and it's different nowadays considering how the technology has changed and how 
obviously dating online is a whole actual real thing, but uh, where is, do you have to know a person to be cheating on someone? Like, where does that line... Because Meg I mean, Ryan has no idea who who NY152 is. That could be anybody. Is she cheating on... I mean, obviously, there's no physical uh, interaction going on. Um, they haven't had cyber sex. No. We know that. <laughs> Birdie like, had what? cyber sex... Tried to have cyber sex once. She didn't quite make it. Oh, my. The line was busy. Um, but where... But there's obviously some emotional crushing and exchanging going on, but they're not really talking about anything that you wouldn't necessarily say to a good friend. Yeah. It's almost like a confidant. So there's no cheating there. When does it become questionable? It almost seems like a helpful fantasy in some ways, too, because they Mm -hmm. get to live this very idealized relationship that will never be a real-life thing. Like, no relationship, no matter how good it is, is ever going to be as idealized as what they have at the beginning of this thing. And so well, it's, I think it's, it's, also, it's almost like a helpful fantasy in some ways. So I don't know. It's also interesting because like it's zero stakes yeah, for exactly. both people. Yeah, so they get to be, and because they don't know, they don't actually know each other, they get to curate kind of the parts of their life that the other person sees. Mm-hmm. It's this really idealized, low stakes. It'd be more like, I think, if your significant other was really into The Sims <laughs> or something. I mean, that's a weird, That's I don't know. Do people still play The Sims? I think people know what The Sims are. Okay. So it'd be like that, or like if you have a, like if you're on Second Life and not like using it to have Second Life hookers or something. Right. So, I mean. I don't know. It's, but I think that but yeah, like is like a low stakes, harmless fantasy for a long time. And I don't think, I mean, can I guess. You, can you get jealous? Like if you were in the situation where you were Meg Ryan, would you feel like you were fooling around with someone or, or being unfaithful? Or if you found out that your, your significant other was having these kind of conversations with someone they didn't know online, would you feel like you'd been you'd been uh, cheated on? Where does that line lie? That's the thing. I don't know because I don't think... I think it'd be something I'd get over. Mm-hmm. Like, it wouldn't violate my trust. In like, it's certainly not life. a deal breaker. No, I wouldn't come no. down on that. But I would feel... But I would feel, feel a little upset, yes. That, like, I didn't know about it. Like, it's obviously a secret they're keeping. But on the other hand, maybe this reveals that I'm kind of a bad person. If mm. I were doing something like that, I could see how I would justify it. Yeah. Well, you could justify almost anything. But you know what I mean. Like, if I were in that situation, I could see how I could argue my way out of it and make everything okay, including myself, feel better about it. All right. Even if I was being shifty to begin with. Then I guess the real question is, does Meg Ryan feel like she's cheating on Greg Kinnear? Yes, otherwise she wouldn't be sneaking around. That's clear from the get-go. That's clear, but then why is she so open and upfront with all of her coworkers? Because it's cute and fun. Because she doesn't think it's real, but she does feel yeah. like she's cheating. It's like... Joe Fox, Tom Hanks' character, must feel the same way, because he's hiding it from Parker Posey, but he's completely upfront with it about Dave, uh, to yeah. Dave Chappelle. It's like if I have someone that I know in my life that flirts with me regularly, it might not be something I would tell my significant other, but it's definitely something I would talk to my girlfriends about and laugh about. Mm, okay, okay. I think... <laughs> <laughs> So glad he doesn't listen to <laughs> um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this probably happens in every relationship too, guys. So those of you with someone, they're totally flirting with someone. <laughs> and they're not telling you about it. Uh, but it's, but it's, it's, it's harmless. It's fun. <laughs> right. Until you all of a sudden set up a date with this guy. But that's, that's where it crosses the that's, line yeah. for sure. Especially because... It's not, let's be friends, it's very much 
a date time of day. Yes. She's got the I mean, red rose and at, the Jane Austen romance. That's the thing, yeah. They're at a real restaurant at night. If she had night. fashion sense, I'm sure she'd be dressed cute, but she loves, she does not dress well in this whole no, movie. No, no, she dresses like my grandmother. Um, <laughs> you can write it off until Tom Hanks asks her to meet. At yes. that point, he should feel like he's totally cheating on Parker Posey. And then when she, she ignores it, first of all. Which is a good instinct if you want to be someone in a relationship. Yeah. But then she totally does go to meet him. And at that point, I think she's crossing that boundary, too. Yes. What I find so crazy is that her friends continue indulging the harmless little fun when it gets to, let's, let's meet this guy. Especially when they seem like, I mean, yeah, Greg Kinnear's kind of a dork in the movie. He's kind of insufferable. Yeah. And very self-absorbed. But so is everyone else in this movie. Oh, God, yeah. He's just meant to be very much on purpose. Um, the real question, though, is when, like, in addition to this not okayness, when does it stop being okay when Joe knows who she is? Okay, that is the biggest question of the movie. Because here's the thing. I think this movie is, like, it's about terrible people and they're they're kind of messing around and it's not good from the get-go but i think you can get on board because it's about two kind of not great people getting really charmed by each other and learning a little self-awareness in yeah the process. they actually become they almost become better people until until well there's a yeah at a certain point he it's it's i i think one of the best scenes in the movie is when he goes with uh dave chappelle to find to meet her yes and they find he finds out that she's Meg Ryan, his his bookstore rival. But he, of course, for the rest of the movie, we're like halfway into the movie, mm-hmm. he knows who she is and doesn't say a goddamn word. This should have been a much shorter movie. I think that's what struck me this time around. Is it's, yeah. There's I th- two key scenes. There's then, and then when, when he, after she's shuttered her store and he goes to visit her at her house, mm-hmm. it should have ended about... Five ten minutes after that scene. Yeah, it, it this movie made me long for the time that uh, they weren't on screen at all together in Sleepless in Seattle, except for like that five minutes at the end. Yeah, because it was like, oh, then we really enjoyed it. But like, yeah, th- there's this weird part of the movie where even if you're ignoring the the moral quandaries of the film, uh, the pacing is just like, okay, yeah, we should have ended basically by the time he goes and sees her when she's sick in her PJs. Yeah. That's, Instead, it takes this really dark turn. It's so dark. Like, where I, he he knows who she is, or he he's known who she is for a bit, and uh, instead of telling her, he continues to lie. I I can. He forms a relationship with her, but she thinks she's having a relationship with two different people. I think I can get on board because, like, I, I that would I, make me more upset than if I found out about like my significant other having a chat room friend that he never I no absolutely I agree I think I can get on board with him in the beginning where he doesn't tell her initially yeah oh absolutely 100% because again they're both in relationships Mm -hmm. it's obviously a complicated thing and there's nothing like at stake here and he hasn't done like he's he's a douchebag to her yeah but like and she's kind of terrible to him yeah so I think they it's almost not it's not warranted to be a bad person but like he pulls it off and I'm like I, I would I'm the kind of person who probably wouldn't want to destroy someone's life, but likes to mess with people in this very same way. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fun, and that I'm okay with. And I think even in their continued, like, uh, interactions over email after that, where there's, like, I... That's where they both grow, too. When they he both has grow. A human, when he is able to put some humanity to his business rival, when mm-hmm. it's okay to be personal. And she feels that's... bad for being mad, mean to him. 
I think that's still okay that he doesn't tell her. Absolutely. No, I think after he visits her at her house, though... That's when he it gets. To. That's where That's where it becomes not okay. Well, to it, answer your question, that is where it becomes very not okay. It's that, yeah, it, it, it's actually, it's that scene, and that's the scene I, I thought, I remember before we watched it today, where I remember feeling uncomfortable. And it's not even just that he doesn't tell her then, which is exactly when he should. It's actually how he behaves in her house. Mm-hmm. He's, he's Obviously, it's Tom Hanks. He's a charming guy. He's not going to do any harm to her. But he's so in her space, and she's so vulnerable, not only by being just tiny Meg Ryan, but by being sick, too, that she's like... She's putting coffee cups into plants and the, the flowers under her bed. She's clearly had too much Sudafed. Yeah, she's not in any state of mind, and this man is just... In her house, and like you were saying, on her bed. Yeah, he follows her into her bedroom. And she's she's asked him to leave at least twice by now. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable. And then, you're right, it continues. Like, he doesn't say anything. And then the two of them have essentially a relationship, although there's no... You know, dating, it's its like mini dates. He specifically, yeah, he sets lunch dates and stuff with her. It's very specific. And then he finally confesses. Yeah, and but and while they're still uh, conversing over the internet, and yeah. he's giving her advice about what to say to him, yeah. but she doesn't know. It's, that's where it becomes morally it's reprehensible. weird. It's deeply disturbing. I think if you chopped off the last 20 minutes of this movie, I could feel really good about it. Yes, absolutely. It's that last 20 minutes. It's terrifying. It kills it. It becomes, he becomes so bad, a horrible person. And like, all right, I'm going to just burst into some performance talk. Uh, I think the best scene Meg Ryan has in this movie is that reaction at the very end, where she's like, it's Joe. And then her face contorts into this ugly, horror-stricken just face where she realizes how he's been manipulating her. It's horrible. For, like, at least weeks. Months, really. But yeah, well, because he all, I mean, he already kind of destroyed her her business mm-hmm. and now it, it's it's weird as much as it should feel like a triumph it feels like he's kind of destroyed her love life too it, yeah he's destroyed everything that about fantasy her that kind of helped her through this hard time was a lie was a lie and he was orchestrating all of it the thing that i hate the i think that feels the most false note even if like you took this story the last line yeah i wanted it to be you I wanted to, and he goes, don't cry, shop girl. I know. I told you this when we watched, when we discussed it on the money pit. I hate the ending. I hate the last lines of this movie. It's so messed up. It's like, of course you wanted it to be him because at this point he's manipulated you into that. It's terrifying. I, yeah, it's, I don't feel Even very good about knows, it. Even the dog knows. The dog is pulling <laughs> at him. Like, this dog knows the movie better than they do. Yeah, it's like, this movie, it's interesting. We said last week that Sleepless in Seattle is secretly a horror film, because it is. And this one is just the same. It's just without the, it, it even is, it still has the stalking. Fear the chick flick indeed. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, this is. Um, it's, it's like proto-catfishing. It is. This is the first catfishing film, I think we could probably safely say, or at least the first mainstream one. Mm-hmm. Not that there's been many. But uh, it's it becomes so dark at the end. And again, I, it's mostly just that last 20 minutes. Like, the decision he makes to not tell her and to continue abusing her this way. This is, but it also makes it a better metaphor for capitalism, or like capitalist it, America, or like corporate yes. America. Which is why I'm wondering, like, is that really what Nora Ephron's trying to talk about with this movie? I think so. Because it's not, 
it's, it's not at all subtle, too. With, no. We're hitting Starbucks. We're hitting the big bookstore. We're hitting, uh, I mean, AOL is obviously in there. What's great, too, is this is, I mean, it also doubles as kind of, because it's about corporate America, very much a metaphor for the studio system. Because it's all kind of the same beastie, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's where I think it's really... <laughs> That's where the horror kind of works because you realize it's saying something much more sinister underneath this romantic comedy. Yeah. What is ostensibly supposed to be a romantic comedy? Which is weird because so many people take it as such. They see it and they're like, oh, it's such a happy ending they got together. They swallow the pill. Yeah. They're just like Meg Ryan. That's the whole point. I mean, but we all do, you know? Like, we all started shopping at big box bookstores. We all... We all get our books from Amazon.com. Yeah. And it's... Like, unfortunately, at some point, you're just kind of forced into it. Mm-hmm. They send you messages. They pretend to be your friend. And then you finally just succumb. You take the pill. You take the pill. And it's you just... 1984. Oh, my God. This is so messed up. This movie is... It's really shocking watching it again, though. Because at first glance, it is so... I mean, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan can sell you on anything. They can. Or at least, at least Tom Hanks can. <laughs> Yeah. Meg, Meg Ryan can at this point. This is peak Meg Ryan. Yes. Let's talk about that. Because. I mean, okay. Meg Ryan's best is always going to be when Harry met Sally. She's perfect in that movie. I think no one's going to debate that. Okay. But obviously that's but out of our realm. Like, this, this is, is the like Tom Hanks podcast. right before she kind of destroyed her face. <sighs> yeah, a lot of people have been talking about the face in the podcast. I've been avoiding it. I'm sorry. I don't but, mean to body shame because I still think she's lovely and she's obviously let it settle and she's very happy and like you do you, mm-hmm. you know? She's a person. I'm going to be that person someday. I know it. <laughs> You're going to have your face jokered? Oh, I cannot wait until I have my first facelift. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh- <laughs> um, Tom Hanks has still got the puffy face. He's pulling it off. He's looking great. Because it's, I think we talked about this while we were watching it. It might be one of his best hair movies. He does have good hair in this. I don't know if it's his best. Cause, true, I mean, true. It's, it's... <laughs> no! <laughs> no! <laughs> I love that movie. We're not talking about Cloud Atlas. Damn you. (laughs) It's a great movie. You were wrong. Uh, To go back, it's it's definitely a decent hair movie. Uh, It's not crazy bushy like it was back in the the 80s films. Yeah. Like The Man with One Red Shoe, it's insane how big that hair is. Uh, but I think I almost like the, not not the Forrest Gump clip to the head, but mm. uh, maybe like a Saving Private Ryan. I like him with, the, I like the curliness. You, you like a little curliness? I, yeah, I think like thick hair is cool. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess it's true. He definitely pulls it. This is definitely a good casual haircut for yes. Tom Hanks. Like it's this like, is, I think this is what they're modeling the Inferno haircut on after the two first very bad boy. Da Vinci haircut go. Yeah. Um, I did like his hair a lot in Catch Me If You Can, that slicked back yes, gum shoe. Yes, yes. I think it worked for that character. You wouldn't want to like. Oh, I don't want to know that person. Yes. But it. For the time period and what he was doing. Time period, yeah. perfect character. Tra- yeah, absolutely. Um, and this, I think it fits him and it looks good. Yeah. Uh, but yes, he's also, but it makes him the perfect salesman because he looks like a normal dude. He's, that's, and yeah, this he's is. He's the dude you'd talk to in line at Starbucks because he wouldn't creep you out. That's what we've, the whole podcast, we've been talking about how Tom Hanks is like the perfect everyman. He can, he's so, he's got this great, warm, jovial presence 
that you trust him on almost anything. That's why you cast him as Walt Disney when yes. Walt Disney's kind of been a dis- despicable person. And like you were saying during the movie, this is kind of like the proto version of Walt. Yeah, it's the yeah, it's absolutely. He loves children. Those scenes with his aunt and his his aunt that okay his the, aunt and his brother. The, I love the family relationship yes. in this movie so much. It's so unnecessary, but it's so great. I think I mean like it was maybe like we want we want him to be with kids, but we don't want him to have kids because yes. of that baggage and. That was part of the whole thing with Sleepless in Seattle, so let's make it different. I don't care. The detail they put into that was just great. That's what I love about Nora Ephron as a writer, though, is she finds those ways, like, or when, um, whenever Greg Kinnear opens his mouth in this movie, it's hilarious, <laughs> like the pomposity. Someone researched all the stupid stuff, that, or pseudo-intellectual stuff yeah, that came out of his the mouth. The pretentious and, stuff. Yeah, and it feels natural. It doesn't feel forced. And that's where, like, these family relationships, it could feel really kitschy or stupid, I think, in any... Un- under anyone else's control but with her it's like i i even think that it, it feels unwieldy in under her control in her last movie in sleepless in seattle yes. they like it's very good writing but i feel like the performances and, and the way it's written didn't quite match i think she nails the tone of her she, writing with her direction in this she movie. definitely improved and maybe that's why this has been more the perennial favorite mm-hmm. because it is just at the very least, it's more deftly made. Yeah, there's a lot of really good craft here when you're just going, like, I remember watching it, you know, moment hours ago yes. when we were just starting it and, like, the transition from scene to scene and we're just getting all this detail from Meg Ryan's crew and then Tom Hanks's crew and it just builds nicely. It's yeah. got fun dialogue. Everybody sounds different, too. Yeah, and even when they're, they keep missing each other in their neighborhood, it's such a, like, the tricky way she moves the camera mm-hmm. and edits it together so that they're always just missing each other. The blocking's great. And it's very simplistic. There's yeah. no, like, showy things going on with the dialogue or with the 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 camera work, which I think yeah. there was some showy stuff going on with Sleepless with, like, let's have the conversation about the statistics that... Uh, oh, you're more likely to get killed by a terrorist yes. than married after 40. Like, that felt like showy writing. Nothing really in this one felt like that. Yeah. It all felt very natural, the situation. Like, the showiness was maybe uh, Kinnear's dialogue, but that was appropriate. Uh, yeah, it was perfect, because he is just, he is that guy. Conspiracy. Uh, Dave Chappelle's in this movie. Dave Chappelle is in this movie. He's the best part of this movie, I think. Maybe. Well, yeah, because every, like he's well, only got two or three big scenes. I think he's yeah, I and they're all wonderful. He's in more yeah. It was, he's in three major scenes. It's the first scene he's in where we see the bookstore being completed, which is awesome, and I think that's some of our best Tom Hanks too. Yes, he gets just like that delightful like we're gonna sell him this and blah blah blah. Yeah. And uh, I did write down lines, but I can't remember them now. Um, and then he's in the. The wonderful gym scene. Which is great. He is not sweating, and Tom Hanks is sweating buckets. And Tom, Wonderful. That, that's, I think, where we get our Hanksiest line, where he's like, I was eloquent! It's, uh, yeah, because he's not doing much, but just his presence is so perfect. And then my favorite, I think the best scene in the movie is... Absolutely. Because the tension is so high. Well, I think it's 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 the best scene in the movie, and it's, it's actually two scenes. Because it's the scene with him and Dave Chappelle outside as they're looking and they're finding out it's Meg Ryan. Yes. And then the immediate follow-up where he fucks with Meg Ryan at the yes. restaurant. But those, those two outside of the restaurant, the tension is so <laughs> high in that scene. And it's ridiculous because we're just seeing someone's cheater pants blind date. Mm-hmm. But it's really, it's it's amazing. It's incredible writing and directing and it's incredible Dave Chappelleing. It's, I mean, everybody, all three of them in that scene is the best performances, I think, in the movie outside of yes. what I mentioned with Meg Ryan uh, with her face at the end. Yes. Um, but yeah, like, it's weird, because, like, Dave Chappelle's not in these kinds of movies. What's no. he doing here? This is well, just Well, now a... he's not in any movie. No, you know? yeah. 
But uh, this is, it was delightful. It furthers my, it furthers the whole, like, this is about corporate America and the studio system, though. Like, I think this is why Dave Chappelle signed on. He had something mm-hmm. to say. Yeah. He had thoughts. And Nora Ephron had his thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what I'm. I'm fairly certain like, this movie is very sinister. But it's, I think there. I think it's there. But the problem is like the movie doesn't really hit. It like it's. It's like it's not. You meant have to. to dig for it, which makes me feel like it's not. It's not that it's not unintentional, but it's not like where you watch. Uh, we, we actually had a very long uh, conversation about Joe versus the volcano, where it's like there's obviously something this movie's trying to say with its strange use of symbolism and the bizarre filming techniques and we kind of were able to piece together that this is what the movie was saying i feel like this movie it's so coded that it's almost not taking the stand that's the point though because it is it's it's not taking the stand it's taking you along for the ride are you so but like it's like what parker posey was doing in josie and the pussycats it's uh, subliminal parker posey is in this movie parker posey is in this movie and she's wonderful i love her she's not used she's barely utilized Mm -hmm. and i feel like honestly she kind of they break her character when they're in the elevator and it's like oh she's gonna turn into an uber bitch now she's just been kind of a cutthroat person before yeah. And not even. She's been pretty pleasant. I was going to say, they, they keep saying, they keep telling us. She's it was all telegraphed. Yeah. And like, but she actually seems kind of fun. Like, she seems fun. She, she seems nice. She won't leave nice. a conversation at a party to get a drink. She has opinions. She And she comes over and talks to people. She she reads obscure, pompous writers mm-hmm. in The Observer. She's definitely weird and quirky and maybe a little bit like lacking in social grace, even though she's the one who wanted Tom to or Tom Hanks to go to this party at the beginning. Yeah, I feel like we're really informed of her flaws. Like, we can kind of see... I think we see it better with Greg Kinnear, where it's not that he has a lot of flaws, but they're just not... There's not a lot of passion in that relationship. Yeah. But I feel like we're very informed why she's a bad person. And it it isn't... It is not until that elevator scene... And it feels out of character. Yeah, where she gets like, whoa, she's yelling at Because I feel like her anger in that moment wouldn't be to yell. Like, her reaction from what we've seen, wouldn't be to yell, it'd be to be kind of annoying. Yeah. Like, that would be her biggest flaw. So she, it felt strange. She doesn't, she seems like, if she's going to be a bitch, she doesn't seem like the bitch who loses her cool. No. She's the bitch that'll make you lose your cool. Yeah, she's ice cold. Yeah. Which is why I like love Like, she should have messed with that lady and her dog in the elevator. <laughs> yes. She seems like she should be more sadistic than, than Tom Hanks' character. And he's the most sadistic person in this whole he's movie. He's terrifying. He's scared. This he's is Stockholm's Meg Ryan. This is the best Tom Hanks villain. Yes. I love him in this movie. He's so good. Let's talk about his performance. Okay. We've kind of jumped jumped in and out. I think his best scene is definitely the scene in the cafe yes. where he comes. Because you can tell he's totally, he wants to be validated by her liking the real him. And I think that's kind of why he drags it out at the end. Mm-hmm. But he's just, he's so good he at being can't so help but be mean. Himself. He's just so overbearing the whole time. You see hints of what's to come in the bed in the bedroom scene when he visits her because he is. She's like, please go away, and he just sits down, and then he she's like, go sit somewhere else, please, 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 and she's very desperate. And so what does he do? He goes and sits behind her, and it's it's like this wonderfully. It's so evil. Like you you respect mm-hmm. that kind of evil, but also you feel terrible for Meg Ryan in that moment because her whole evening, all these fantasies she's built up about this internet dude in her head are crashed and her enemy's there to witness it. I don't feel that bad about her. Be- or if, like, in because that, it's like a cheater pants moment. Exactly. But she, both of them are doing it. it, it but yeah, no, no. It's it's in the, in the cafe, I'm totally down with how manipulative he's being. Yes. In the bedroom, that's where I can't, I can't it's not indefensible, it's not okay. 
Yeah. Uh, that bedroom scene is really just like so upsetting. I don't it's like so that mean. scene. It's it ruins the movie for me, I it think. It really does. I wish I think if it had ended like right after that and he told her via email or you mm-hmm. know, they'd found some Or or he should have just been like, If you wanna see me and then like if you 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 just do another voiceover and he's like, Meet me at the park and then you just cut out the whole like fifteen minutes where before he goes to her apartment and the bedroom scene happens, and then just the actual ending of the movie, yeah. just have that, so she could still have that reaction, like, it was you, you asshole. Yeah, but then it's, like, kind of cute. Yeah. But, oh, no, the uh, the week-long montage of getting to know yous, and, oh. It's really upsetting, and I think... And it's true, like, to go to bring it back to the, the corporate America stuff, he just systematically takes everything away from her. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he doesn't break them up, but he gets, like... Greg Kinnear goes away, so she's gone. She's single. Uh, he, like, her friends are basically gone because she has to fire him. Takes yeah. away her business, her livelihood. And the only thing she's got is this this outlet for this this email guy, and that's him. He takes everything. Yeah. And we're supposed to feel okay about it. And that's, it's weird because you start to wonder why, and you realize, oh, I mean, I guess he's got money. That's the thing. Okay, to, to go... Tom Hanks... His character in this movie is the American dream. He gets everything he wants, but it only only because he comes from money. Mm-hmm. He is corporate America, so he has all of these advantages to to him. He has friends or he has customers because he offers them things, not because he has any real value. Yeah, um, he devalues everything that he's selling. In fact, yeah. And what does it cost? No, it costs that much. No, it's worth that much. Is the conversation he, he has with Steve Zahn? Yes. And he and he completely takes every like he takes Steve Zahn works at his store at the end of the movie. Yeah. Like he takes everybody from this. But we know he's gonna get their hooks in them the minute Meg Ryan walks into a Starbucks. Mm-hmm. It's so you see where it's going. She's going to. She's already going down this path. She's yeah. going to end up this way no matter even if someone, Joe Banks didn't yeah. or if not Joe Banks that's volcano, <laughs> Joe Fox F O X. Even if Fox Books didn't come in, this was going to happen. Yeah. So yeah, does this this movie is obviously saying something? I think before we get into the whole thing, it's saying something about this. Was this the period of time where this was happening? Had this already happened? It's always been omnipresent. What is this trying to say? Like, well, the, I don't know if you. It was the in the nineties, right? It was when I mean, it was the media of... conglomerates happened because you had like AOL, Time Warner. I mean, yeah, obviously. The phone and the cable packages They're started making happening. these movies. Um, I remember I lived in a town without a Starbucks until about the 90s. And now my town still doesn't have a Starbucks because it ended up closing down. But um, Whoa, that's going to be the first time it's ever yeah, happened. But I lived in a... My hometown didn't have a Starbucks. And I remember it was like a really big deal. And it was really weird when we got one. People were kind of freaked out by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a whole not, thing. Yeah, I mean, not that I come from... The thing is, I don't come from like a super small town. It's still 40,000 people. So it's not... You know, but that was, was that weird. was the sign of a city. Like, why would you have a whole shop just for coffee? That was yeah. a whole big thing back then, uh, and obviously now it's everywhere. And it did seem I don't for me it seemed like it was like there was this constant <laughs> drive to either support independent local businesses or corporate America. And I don't know if like the internet had something to do with it. Like the dot com bubble hadn't burst yet. Yeah. Right. I don't, I mean, I was so, I was, I was a kid, so I don't know, but it does, I don't, I don't know, I remember some of this stuff. Here's, okay, so here's, here's what I'm thinking, like, 
I think you're right. The, all the stuff is there. Also, I realized Go on. too. Um, this is when Miramax was acquiring indie movies, a lot of indie movies, and making them a little bit more mainstream. This was kind of the like. And I think this is from a film industry perspective. It's exactly that time. Yeah, because like independent when the wine movies. Scene grew in independent cinema. Yeah, they started becoming just like all independent movies became just like the the branch of the big studios movies. Like yes. that's when they came up with like Fox Searchlight. Yes. And uh, well, Miramax and like yeah. all these other things. Like Sundance wasn't a thing anymore. Sundance was like where we just bought our new market. movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's totally in line with the metaphor for that's what happened to Meg Ryan yeah. and her shop. And I think, too, that's when a lot of... I mean, the studios have always been kind of media conglomerate-y, but I think this is where the cable companies started to be under the same umbrella as the movie studios, and it's you started to see it more obviously mm-hmm. um, to some degree. I think it just became more public knowledge. Okay. And I, so I think that might be where it's coming from. I think... I, think, uh, I just had a... I just had a breakthrough, mm-hmm. to quote Meg Ryan from this movie. Just had a breakthrough. I think this movie has the, the insidious uh, levels of subtlety about what it's really talking about, the same way that Scorsese's Wolf of Wall Street does. Yes. Because it's telling us, th- we are, the movie starts, Meg Ryan is the main character. We start with her. Obviously, Tom Hanks gets top billing because he's fucking Tom Hanks. But we start with her. We are in her shoes, for the most part. And obviously... Yes. Uh, Joe Fox is the villain or the antagonist of the piece, so yeah. it makes sense she's our hero. But she's the little guy, and she gets completely destroyed by corporate America, and then she comes to love Joe Fox. Yeah. And I think what this movie is saying is is doing what you're what you've been digging at, and what we've been kind of discussing is like it's basically we the audience walks away feeling like oh what a cute romantic movie because this is what we let happen. Yes, we fall for the same exact tricks. Yep. And, but then you watch it again and you realize what you've just seen is quite the opposite. Tom Hanks is Jordan Belfort. Who's Jordan Belfort? From Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, right. I saw it only once and it was very late. Well, Um, it's really good. (laughs) No, yeah, it's great. It's uh, another movie that probably didn't have to be as long as it was. Yeah. Uh, but (laughs) But yeah, it's, that's the thing. And I think too, there's something... It's so interesting. Yeah, the whole so, thing is just so interesting. So if that is the case, if that's what this movie's really about, it's really about this, we are taking this pill. We as Americans are letting the corporations, the moneymakers, whatever, the people in power, completely take away our independence. And mm-hmm. we are not only being destroyed by them, but we're succumbing to them, being a, becoming a part and of embracing them. Embracing them. Embracing them. If that's really the case, then is that montage after the bedroom necessary. Yeah, that's why, I mean, that's why it happened. Because mm-hmm. obviously Nora Ephron knows how to pace a film. She knows how to write. You know, I think that's the so thing. So it's supposed to become as uncomfortable as possible. Yes, I believe that Oof. firmly. And I think that's why the dog does what he does at the end. Oh my God, this movie is insane. Because that dog is really well trained through the whole movie. Yes. And we never see him like mess with Joe. And then at the end, he starts pulling Joe's jacket. He starts jumping Don't on him. Do it's it. a warning to Meg Ryan. It's a Get away, get why away. Isn't she, why isn't the dog pulling on Meg Ryan's jacket? Because he's a, he doesn't want to hurt her, okay. but it's okay to dismantle the corporations. I'm trying to think now. <laughs> Brinkley. I don't know, but I also think maybe she just didn't like dogs. She doesn't like children, obviously. Her no. face contorts weirdly whenever there's a child on screen. As, we, as I said uh, while we were watching it, as much as Meg Ryan hates 
Children, Tom Hanks loves kids. Yes. And the scenes where he's with the kids are adorable. adorable. I love it. Because I feel like so many people watch this and they're like, oh, it's so cute. And they get together. But it's really saying some horrible shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And I think that's why the last lines are so bad, too. It's like a clue. Yeah. Because we know Nora Ephron's a better writer than that. Oh it was God. you. I wanted it to be you. I wanted Don't it. cry, shop girl. I hate I hate those last two lines so much. But yes, so that's that's where it's at. And then they end on somewhere over the rainbow, which is a complete fantasy. Yeah. Dorothy ends up the same poor farm girl that she was at the beginning. Oh we can God. never get ahead. We can't. We always end up where we started. This is a the movie. American dream is a lie. It's about it's it, a fantasy. It's the class system here in America. My God. There we go. This is bad. So, but you get with a rich white dude and you might just have a chance. That's the only escape, is to embrace the money of America. You, it's, it's all about... This is sinister, right? This is so bad. This is it's so awful. sad. I'm and sorry. I'm sorry we just ruined this movie for everyone. No, fuck but that. But I'm not. This I'm movie, not sorry at all. Go back and watch When Harry Met Sally. It'll do you good. This is what the movie has been about this whole time. This whole time. We just Which is why everybody... like. You will talk to people, and I've, I've talked to many people, men and women, who, at least more women, obviously, because that's Target who watch this movie, is, um, say they love this movie, but they have to say it's a guilty pleasure because of the shit that Joe Fox says at the end. But when you look at it like this, it's like, this is why it's there. It's because it's not about oh, a love story with some fucked up shit. It's because this is just what's happening, and yeah. we're letting it happen to us. What's really sad, too, is like... Outside of this movie, outside the context of this movie, there's kind of been a marked shape, uh, a marked change in romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. They don't say as much as they used to. They're not as clever. They're very formulaic, starting in about the early two thousands. And almost all romantic comedies now are about like, let's make the man child feel better. Yes. Uh, which is obviously not at all what. Or really? in the case of, like, Trainwreck, let's make the woman-child feel better. And yeah. you don't see any more romance between adults. Romance has kind of died. It's, it's all arrested development. Yeah. And so it's really quite sad, because you see how we've all kind of been reduced to Meg Ryan's, at least cinematically, mm-hmm. how romance has been reduced to that childish, don't cry, here you go, have a, have a sucker, you don't have to grow up. Yeah. And Ooh. so it's, like, it's just so sad. It's Nora sad. Ephron was a prophet. I feel like we, we kind of tackled the big thematic what yes. does this really mean stuff earlier than we do normally do in the show. But it's just so... You can't no, no, not it, address it because it's, it's part of everything. It's part of the performances. It's part of this, the problems with the movie. It's right. even part of the stuff that's fun to watch. No, no, and this movie is very fun to watch. Oh my god, it's great It's time. just It's just got this horrible seedly message underneath. But because we, we, we kind of hit on this so quickly, now we have time to indulge in one of our our, perhaps our longest standing question. Yes. Uh, back when we recorded The Money Pit, mm-hmm. we proposed this movie would be better if it was Tom Hanks against Shelley Long again. How do we feel about that now? Having watched this movie, having really uncovered what it's about, is it better for, me, for it be, to be Meg Ryan or would Shelley Long have still been an improvement? It's hard because I see what it was getting at thematically, and mm-hmm. Meg Ryan is inherently more likable than Shelley Long. Because think... Shelley Long works in all of her roles because there's a prickliness to her. Yes. And an independence that Meg Ryan can't always convey. I feel like Meg Ryan also plays much more innocent, a little bit more, I don't want to say childlike, but naive. Yeah. And that's why 
it, it certainly works for the metaphor here. Yes. Where we're being completely taken by... I think in the pure rom-com version of this movie that ends five minutes after he goes to her house. Mm-hmm. Shelley Long, yeah. Absolutely. If this is, yeah. Because pure... I buy that Shelley Long would actually have a chance... Believe, I believe sincerely... Or Shelley Long would make me believe sincerely that she had a chance against Fox Books. That's the thing, yeah. I, well, that and just Joe Fox in general. Yes. Shelley Long has the... Like so that's you see why I it don't sh- think she works now that we've... Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you see in Shelley Long in, uh, you know, in Cheers, in The Money Pit, she yeah. can stand up to Tom Hanks. She has that same kind of slightly manipulative... She can fuck with you. She's clever. Yeah, she you would, buy that she's ruthless. She would totally match wits with Joe Fox if she was the Meg Ryan character. Meg Ryan, I completely... I she mean, would also not suffer Greg Kinnear's character. No. I don't think. That no. pomposity... Although, she, she, yeah, that's the thing. I think if you, if Shelley Long was in this movie... She'd go toe to toe with him. She'd shut him down. That would be the same character in the movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you just combine those two characters, she would be single the whole time. I'd be all right. That would be great. She uh, just cares about her work so much. I think you're absolutely right that this is the movie then that... The, the, the bigger picture movie that we've been talking about, what it really is about, you need Meg Ryan. Yes. For, again, for on-screen chemistry, I'm still going to prefer Long and Hanks. Yeah, absolutely. So now I'm thinking, like, does that mean she would have been better in uh, the horror movie that was Sleepless in Seattle? Interesting question. No, well, that, that, that one, because they never, they're never on screen together anyway, so that barely matters. It's a shame that we lost Nora Ephron so prematurely, because mm-hmm. I think it'd be fun to see, like, a grown-up romantic movie with the two of them now. Well, it would be great. Uh, we would love to do Ithaca, but we can't find no, that. No, I meant Shelley Long and Tom Hanks oh, now fuck, as yes. adults with Nora Ephron as the, like, the right. Because mm-hmm. she, she continued to improve throughout her whole career. Absolutely. And I think it's a shame. I mean, obviously we lost her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think it's a shame. I feel like maybe we've been cheated out of a Shelley Long, Tom Hanks, Nora Ephron team up. It, it, we've definitely been cheated about that. It's s- less about corporate America and more about, you know, people over 50 falling in love. Yeah. We still... <laughs> the thing is, we, we, we lost we lost the Nora Ephron version of that, but we could still get those two in a movie. Yes, let's make it happen. I got, if there's nothing else this podcast does, let's make that movie come to, to, come to fruition. Yes. Come on, people 100%. out there, you agree with it. But to bring it back to You've Got Mail. Yes. Because there's a couple other things we can talk about. Um... But man, we've hit all of the big stuff. Let's see. I had stuff. Let's let's do a little bit of comparison. Again, we're going to be saving this for a, a different conversation. But um, this Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Yes. Have are we seeing the peak of them? What do you think? How do they work together in this movie? I like. Mm, well, it's weird because they don't meet. Until so late into the film. That's not... I mean, compared to Sleepless in Seattle, they're together the whole time. That's true. Uh, Why are they never on, like, proper on screen together? Even Joe versus the Volcano, he meets her... He know he's working with her at the beginning, but he doesn't meet the real Meg Ryan until halfway through the movie. Yeah! It's such an odd pattern with these two. Um, and Do maybe, they secretly hate each other? Hmm... Do you think that's why it works on screen, like a, like a, a Mulder and Scully type thing? Because isn't the the scuttlebutt that they didn't like each other filming the X-Files? If, if that was true, it doesn't seem to be the case anymore with yeah, all the ba- well, behind-the-scenes stuff with the new season. Maybe they just got tired of their co-workers. We've all been there. It's possible. Sorry, I... co-workers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. It's, it is weird. I do think that they're really good together in this. Because mm-hmm. um, think... those scenes where he's kind of stomping all over her. <laughs> 
That's the thing. Like, it's this, so funny. It's almost not even like you could almost put him against anyone. Like, I think the reason they're good together is because Tom Hanks is so good in this movie. This yes. is one of his best performances. Absolutely. It's like insane. I I forgot how Hanksy this performance is, but how appropriate she, it is. She does kind of get lost as much as it's her movie. She kind of feels lost throughout the whole thing. It doesn't feel particularly emotional when she gives up the store. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's very strange. I think. Um, She's so defeated by that point. Yes, I, I think, think Sleepless I think, in the in Seattle has us with a more hopeful Meg Ryan. Yeah, well, with the long hair, she's still trying to pull that off. She's got to be optimistic. <laughs> Her hair is way better in this. I think they're both in like a really good hair place in this movie. They are. It's unfortunate that she wears such shitty attire. I think they even have her wearing something else different on the this yeah, poster. Yeah, like a cute leather jacket. Huh? Yeah, she's never wearing that in the movie. No, why <laughs> not? Yeah, I don't think he wears this either. No. He looks much more regal. They both look so nice on the cover of this movie, and so she and looks here's so frumpy through the whole oh movie. Oh my god, we're looking at the DVD cover right now, and the, on the image is the image of them embracing, and the fucking dog Brinkley is pulling his jacket. The image you're saying is like the last clue with the movie. Yeah. It's on the cover, guys. This is real. They want us to know. They want you to figure it out. Maybe this, because she's dressed so nicely, is her future, though. So we're supposed to feel okay about the outcome. They yeah okay this because that is like a much more that's much more quality than what she's yes. been wearing. Even he movie. looks much more qualitative. Yeah, but maybe they're... his dad and grandpa died, and they inherited Fox books. Mm-hmm. And but the sad thing is they're not looking at each other. No, well, of course not. There's pain behind her smile. Okay. <laughs> there is, of course. I'm sorry. No, I think you're right. And they jumping off the uh, the the very sad, dark, true meaning of this movie. Um, do these two people? How do they end up together? Like, do they stay together? Is it a loveless marriage? What goes on? Is this happily ever after? Obviously, there's some weird Stockholm Syndrome going on. Yeah, I don't see how it can be, though. I mean, the whole thing is predicated on his it's kind of manipulating so her. so much lies, and not, like, the fun, okay lies. Plus, she still doesn't have a job, and he's still the man that took her business from her. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to reconcile. That is so... And no amount of daisies <laughs> and happy emails can change that. yeah. Do you, do they have a better shot though than the the Tom Hanks and the Meg Ryan of Sleepless in Seattle? Because they go in and there's just so much big stakes at that point. But it feels a little bit more like no. Neither of them have destroyed each other's That's lives. That's the thing. It's like there's there's a lot to overcome, but it's nothing particularly bad. It's just a lot to be navigated. But we know they have chemistry, in you've got mail. Yeah, that's also true. There's a, like an actual rapport there. It's interesting. I feel like they're gonna they're going to get married, and Meg Ryan, she's kind of this uh, the whole time. She's kind of naive. She feels like she has that complaint. I don't in the know that the they'll movie. make it to the altar because I think he's the sort of person that would ask for a prenup, and she's the sort of person that would get offended by it. Ooh, I don't know. Because he's he's constantly trying not to be like his dad, and that's right. something they bring up on the boat. Right. I think she's. I don't think it works. I think I think <gasps> Tom Hanks and Shelley Long make it, though, at the yes. end of the money pit. Yeah, no, no. Here's what I want. Because they've had to work through their communications they, they issues. They do. That's what that whole movie's about, is how yeah. they get together, despite how they're horrible for each other. Um, but also, in a, in a way, like, kind good of, for each yeah. Other. Well, I don't know. It's, real relationships are complex, just like the movie. Uh, I know. That's, I, the money pit is such a great here's, here's, <laughs> we, we, I, Okay, before we talk about the money pit again, I have two pieces of headcanon for this movie now. Okay. 
One is that uh, Birdie, who is the old woman who works with uh, Meg Ryan in the bookshop and was apparently good friends with her mom because she has a locket of her when she was a young woman. Yep. We're, uh, I think our both of our headcanon is that they were late-in-life lesbians. Which I think is hinted at because there are some current-in-life lesbians brought up in this movie apropos of nothing. When Jillian runs off with the maid, yes, the nanny Maureen, and even uh, I think another thing is when she tells him that the, the other clue being that she tells him that she was in love with the dictator of Spain. Yeah, all the, that that's obviously a lie. Yeah, and it's like oh, she couldn't say and she was into a Joe, woman. And Joe's grandpa says that he dated her and wrote her letters, but nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. So she was playing coy because she liked ladies. I think that's... And uh, Meg Ryan's and Kathleen's dad was obviously not really in the picture. And and Kathleen knows Bertie so well that she calls her her sur- surrogate mother, so she's obviously been there for a very yeah. long time. I think Kathleen has just continued to be naive about her mom's actual... Lesbianism. Yes. Which is, you know, it's fine. It was the 90s. I guess it still wasn't quite as cool then. Yeah. It, it, but it's I'm, nice to think we've come such a long way that it would be considered like cute in a movie now, mm-hmm. I think. Old yeah. lesbians. Absolutely. Adorable. Love some old lesbians. <laughs> That was a uh, fucking Thirty Rock. Oh yeah, it was great, Jack's mom. <laughs> that was such a cute storyline. Yes. You're right, old lesbians. Super it was cute. adorable. Old lesbians are the best lesbians. Second piece of head head canon is that uh, after okay, so if we're gonna say that this relationship doesn't work out, he asks her to sign a prenup, and she realizes no, this is terrible. You destroyed my life, and I'm gonna go off and find some other guy, or die alone, or Birdie. Um, I think that Joe Fox is devastated, but he finds uh, a woman who's finally worthy of his caliber, who happens to be very Shelley Long. Yes. That is so. I want. I want a and movie. And Parker Posey and Greg Kinnear end up together because their characters would be great. I. I. That's he the would thing. just like she could ignore him while he rambles on and mm-hmm. do her thing, and neither of them would notice because they're both fairly self-absorbed. I would watch that movie. That'd be adorable. I would watch any lead. Parker Posey movie, though, I think. I know. She's great. Um, no, yeah, I think that I want... Here's what I want, uh, universe. I want a Tom Han- a new Tom Hanks, Shelley Long movie that takes place in-universe as a sequel to You've Got Mail. So we're getting that franchise stuff, except Meg Ryan doesn't have to be in it. Maybe she gets a mention. Uh, and fucking <laughs> he gets together with Shelley Long, and that's his true love. I want that movie! And maybe it's about how... And there's also late-in-life lesbians. Late-in-life lesbians. Yes. And maybe we... It's the whole movie's about how we should wake up and realize how corporate America's taking over and we're all sleeping through it. Heavy stuff. Can we discuss... Do, we, do you like this movie or The Money Pit better? We can definitely discuss that. Um, here's the thing. I'm going to go to bat... Every time for Tom Hanks and Shelley Long as the true best on-screen couple. Yes. I think their chemistry is way better. I think they're, they, they totally are perfect for each other in terms of they match their, each other's wits. They're, they're equals. Um, I think the message in the movie is a lot more positive, too, since it's about um, relationships are hard work, but keep, yeah. keep going at it, keep communicating. I, I think so, the too. The house is a wonderful metaphor. The house is a perfect metaphor. Uh, and yeah, I think that the movie is it is an uplifting thing and it's it's much more true to real relationships. But this is also just uh, you've got mail is the better made. That's film, the thing. The, the, you've sure. got mail There's is no much shadow, like rando shadows on the wall. And, and even the jokes, the it's it's so much better made and it's coming from such a even though like now we've kind of found out there's 
a true voice to this movie and what it's really trying to say. Yeah. Um, and I really get down with that, how terrifying that is. I, this movie is just infinitely more watchable. I, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, I, I prefer the on-screen chemistry and some of the relationship metaphors of the, money, of the Money Pit. And I think it's a much more romantic movie. Yes. Absolutely. I think um, I would like to see, if, if they were to, like, in this culture of remakes, I think a remake of The Money Pit with a couple that's got that much chemistry, because I think the mm-hmm. ideas are there, I think that would be really cool. And I think you could do it a much... Because, like, The Money Pit, when it was made, it was still super, like... It's still kind of wacky 80s comedy. Like, it would be so... Like, you don't make it about a really nice house. You make it about a shitty house. Yeah. And it's so middle America. And it yeah. would be so prevalent today's today's culture. Especially if you take two people that maybe have, like, they moved because they can't afford... I mean, it's it's pretty true that it's impossible to afford a, to afford a house right now. Yeah, and so, like, they, they got together... Like, initially, obviously, they were dating, but, like, they're stuck together because they can't afford to not live together. Yeah. That I would love to see. That's... So yeah. I think in spirit, but yeah. But You've Got Mail is pretty singular. In, in, you, this is the only version of this movie that could exist as it does and work as well as it does. It's, it's weird how, ti- how dated it is and how timeless it is. Yeah. Um, I agree. You've Got Mail, you could not remake. It would. I mean, even though this is itself a remake, we didn't even talk about that. It is? Yeah, for a, a little shop around the corner. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But that's um, a play. Well, I guess that's true. It's an adaptation, not a remake. But... Um, Yes, uh, in spirit and in the chemistry, the money pit the money pit uh, wins. But the better movie is you've got mail. Yes, hands down. But you know what? I don't feel bad about it because it's Meg Ryan month. Yes. And my gosh, we've talked about so many things. And here's the here's the deal, guys. We were originally going to be talking about their fourth long-awaited film, Ithaca, directed by Meg Ryan. But we can't find where this movie's playing. And which means if we can't find it, you definitely can't. So it would be kind of pointless for us to talk about it. So what we're going to do is instead of a little different, we're going to have another episode. Uh, it's a brand new thing. I'm not going to tell too much about it, but we're not going to have a new movie to talk about. We're going to be talking about all three movies. We're going to kind of go head to head and see what the real meat of Meg Ryan is. It's going to be very exciting. So I hope you That's tune gonna in. It's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be crazy. I hope you tune in next week to talk about, uh, to take part in that discussion with us. Um, in the meantime, follow the podcast at Tom Hanks Pod on Twitter. You can follow me at Elvis Kunish. Uh, send us an email, TomHanksPod at gmail.com. Sam, Samantha, where can people find you? What can they read? I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at SammyJane613. And every Thursday I write a column on FilmTakeout.com called Fear the Chick Flick. So you should check it out. And uh, you just wrote a piece on... The other Nora Ephron classic recently. I did. I just wrote a piece on When Harry Met Sally, obviously, to celebrate the new year. So So if you can't get enough of Meg Ryan Month from Tom Thanksgiving, definitely check out that article. It'll be in the show notes. And uh, it's not quite up yet, but you have another podcast that... I do. Keep an eye out. I host another podcast called Superhero Sampler with Elliot, who's been on your podcast before, right? Mm -hmm, Multiple times. Yeah, with Elliot, and we talk about superhero TV shows. It's a lot of fun, and it will also be hosted at Film Takeout. Great. So yeah, uh, look for all that stuff. Come back next week, and until then, thanks for listening. Tom Hanks is a friend you can turn to when cold winds blow. Cold winds blow. And then you'll know, now and forever.
a friend in this world.